that we're being very punk about journalism if we're saying, you know, uh, anytime you put any kind of interpretation on anything, you're inherently putting bias in it. Sure. So, fuck it. This is what we think. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Chance, and thanks for listening to us discuss what is punk journalism. Listen to our discussion next week on divorce. Did our grandparents simply just make it work? Or is there something more to it than that? I don't ask for anything other than for you to rate and review us on iTunes and soon on Spotify. Also, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest and greatest. And also check out punk-journalism.com. I gave up this podcast over a year ago. My biggest hesitation and a big reason why I didn't gain too much momentum the first time I tried is because the implications that come with something labeled as journalism. To be a journalist carries with it certain standards and expectations, which are quite sacred. I earned both my bachelor's and master's degrees in journalism, so it's something I don't want to take lightly. The definition of journalism by Merriam-Webster is actually quite broad. The first one, the collection of editing of news for presentation through the media. Then the public press. Third, an academic study concerned with the collection and editing of news or the management of a news medium. Fourth, writing design for publication in a newspaper or magazine. Five, writing designed to appeal to a current popular taste or public interest. And six, writing characterized by a direct presentation of facts or description of events without an attempt at interpretation. That last definition is where I've really been hung up on a moral dilemma. Writing characterized by a direct presentation of facts or description of events without an attempt at interpretation. I do agree with this. I think that in this era of quote-unquote news and information coming at us from every angle, it's become increasingly difficult to find something that isn't biased or with agenda. I believe that this is where we'll be distinguishing traditional journalism from punk journalism. A staple of traditional journalism is presenting all or multiple sides of an issue or argument, allowing your audience to determine what they want to believe. With that being said, I've recently come to the conclusion that I no longer believe in equity amongst all sides of an issue. How constructive is it to debate all sides of whether or not the sky is blue or that water gets you wet? It becomes a waste of time, energy, and resources when we could be focusing on much more important issues, aka progress. For example, the scientific community overwhelmingly supports the idea that climate change is something caused by human activity and industry. But how much progress is hindered when we say, please welcome our guests, On one side is a climate scientist who spent her career studying the long-term effects of global climate change. On the other side, a conspiracy theorist with a YouTube channel. We should not present these issues as if they are unsettled opinions with equal parts on one side or the other. A few years ago, we did a podcast episode on the problems with conspiracy theorists. My friend Eli made the argument that a flat earther he knows has expressed frustration that no one listens to his arguments. Good. Maybe that person should get a clue. To what degree do you humor idiotic and borderline insane concepts? While grappling with this issue of the label of punk journalism, I reached out to a former professor of mine, a mentor, and also a successful journalist. Here's what he had to say. Quote, I don't really see a problem with the name. If it's meant to disrupt a pattern, one that arguably deserves to be disrupted, then punk is a perfectly suitable name for the project. I also think that the idea that journalism is inherently unbiased is part of the problem. It means leaving aside, or likely hiding, something about the human being doing the act of journalism. A lot of people argue transparency in the commitment to fair listening is the better model. So I don't think that punk causes a problem there either. 
I would argue that what distinguishes journalism is a commitment to finding facts. Even in opinion journalism, this is essential, or you just have propaganda. The idea of debating your own perspective lies there, I think. Are you looking at all the possible facts? And when you have them, where does your perspective rest? I can respect literally any perspective that does that. He goes on to say, I think that what makes great punk so iconic is that it was tough, even vitriolic, but it always knew to punch up. Hitting people who are already down is the problem. The thing I loved about punk, and why I like the name punk journalism, is that it had a sense of self-deprecation and it got the joke. That ultimately agreeing is not as important as seeing the humanity in everyone, even the ones who can't see it in you. But ultimately, the most important thing is to tell the truth. End quote. It's been a long-standing sentiment that the media and universities have a left-leaning liberal bias. I don't take any issue with agreeing with that sentiment. Conservatism and religion are deadweight. They are regressive and at the least stagnant. In theory, universities are designed to question the status quo, create new ideas, and to make progress. So, by design, a conservative will naturally take issue with that. Now, an argument could be made that oftentimes college students and professors argue for change simply just for the sake of change, which doesn't necessarily equal progress, but that's a topic for another discussion. Punk journalism, to me, is a vehicle that questions the status quo and attempts to caution people against the ease of becoming part of the lowest common denominator of society by encouraging critical thinking. The previous four years showed us the result of becoming part of the lowest common denominator, culminating in the election of Donald Trump. He appealed to the lowest common denominator. Anyone with enough conscious and cognitive development could see right through his charade, gimmicks, and cons. Yet there were enough people who were taken in by this lowbrow mentality, charading his populism. Another reservation I've had with labeling this podcast as journalism is the expectation that I'll be pushing out content as frequently as the modern news cycle does. That's one of the problems, that's one of the very problems that I believe has contributed to the state we're in that's led us to the dumbing down of our culture. Not every single issue under the sun needs to be discussed and analyzed as much as it currently is. We will be discussing these topics in their broader, more macro sense, while citing individual cases as examples. There was a time when we weren't inundated with news and information from every angle, of every flavor, all day, from every facet. Quality over quantity is what I want to deliver. Not only that, but we're working adults in our 30s with lives and responsibilities. And Ricky plays D&D on Wednesday nights, so that leaves him out. I play on Thursday nights. Thursday nights. Lastly, I'll say that we're not here to make you feel comfortable. We're here to promote critical thinking, progressive ideas, and to get you out of your comfort zone. How are you, Nick? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, just doc- uh... Dr. Nick now since the last time I talked to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Officially... The doctor that is not a medical doctor, so I can't, I can't oh. fix you, but I can philosophize with you. See, I was hoping we could do something uh, like every time you come on, we could no be like, me. "Hi, Doctor Nick," but I, I, yeah. that'll probably go against some copyrights or something, maybe. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thoughts. <laughs> Boy, I was uh... disagreements. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to that statement, to that whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, um, I a hundred percent agree that you know we were just talking about this a little bit earlier. You know, not everybody deserves to have a part of this uh, part of the argument. You know, mm-hmm. 
you know, you can make the equivalence of like uh, you know, conspiracy theorists and having, you know, flat earthers probably shouldn't be rocket yeah. scientists. That's like the extreme example. Sure, right. sure. But you could also make a less extreme example of like, uh, you know, let's say you've got a board of people who are, I don't know, planning the next lithium ion battery, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds decently complicated. You know, you put lithium in there and then you put ions in there somehow, or maybe the ion is of lithium. But um, I wouldn't feel qualified to go on that board and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to help you guys design this thing." You know? Yeah. And and in the same in the same vein, you probably shouldn't have people who. You know, I, I another way to say it is, I wouldn't want my car mechanic, right, to. to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To come over and try and fix my plumbing. So yeah, well, it's kind of yeah. I mean, to make an apples to apples comparison, it's sure you're talking about something very scientific. You're not going to just grab like I'm not qualified to to discuss any scientific concept <laughs> at all because that's definitely not my strong suit. So we're not all doctors. For me, you know, just because I have a platform that doesn't make me qualified to be a an equal contributor on the other side of that argument you know and that's kind of where i think that that we we are right now um in an extreme sense again like i think that that uh you know again using like the flat earth example um or climate change like i i use the uh you know i was kind of satirizing it in the in the monologue there but i was like you know saying you know here on one side of the argument we have a climate scientist who spent their whole life studying the effects of global climate change and on the other side we have a youtuber and you know and that youtuber you know he's just a regular everyday guy just like us you know like that person and of course i'm i'm exact you know that's an exaggeration of the kind of person that that is a dissenter against something like climate change typically. Yeah. But I, think, I don't think it's too far off base either. Yeah, I think another good example would be like a politician who goes, I'm not a climate scientist or I'm not a scientist, but I don't believe in climate change when mm-hmm. it's like 98% or 99% or right, something like yeah. that are like, yeah, dude, this is totally us. Yeah. Do you think that part of the part of the issue here, I, I have two, two kind of thoughts, I guess, that I want to, kind of bring forward um first just like anecdotally like from speaking to you know different people that i grew up with who tend to be you know pro-trump or or whatever um a little bit more right right leaning there does seem to be this growing anti-science rhetoric or anti-academia in general Anti-academia, anti, yeah, anti-science, and like just in, in terms of science too, the scientific method in and it of itself is is being like rejected. The way in which we are processing information and kind of concluding results to studies or um, you know the way we're searching for knowledge in and of itself is being questioned and. I think it's, it's really easy for a lot of people who maybe don't have that, that scientific background, that either it's research background or science or whatever you want to call it, to kind of sit back and say, um, well, you know, I, I just don't believe in science anymore. 
when quite frankly, like they never, they don't even know what science is probably. I mean, well, also in in reality, if you sat down and asked the, the average person to describe the scientific method to no fault of their own, they probably wouldn't be able to do it because it's not part of their daily job. But yet there's like this, this really strong feeling or emotion around the scientific method that people are, they're like ready to reject it. Um, and I don't have a reason for why, you know, we could probably find lots of reasons, but I think that that's part of maybe what we're seeing. Well, and how validating is it, you know, for you to be just Joe Schmo grew up on a farm or, you know, really anybody who's, you know, uh, looking at these people and you know that they're way more well-educated than you. They spent seven, eight, 10, 11 years, whatever, searching something only for someone to say to you, you know, you're smarter than they are. You've got more knowledge than they do. What are you doing? Why do you believe these guys? You know, how validating does that feel for someone like that to be able to reject the scientific method in science and say, I'm smarter than them. I'm better than them. You know? Yeah. Well, and I don't know about you, Nick, because Nick and I, we were grad school cohorts. I didn't understand the scientific method really until I, I started pursuing my master of science degree. And I don't think that I really developed a good understanding of critical thinking and how to employ critical thinking until I was working on a graduate degree. And I don't know if this is just me, my, you know, but I was talking to somebody else, a friend a couple of weeks ago, and she said the same thing. She's like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up that it took having to get to grad school to, to really understand critical thinking because we were talking about like how I've worked with a, really hardcore conspiracy theorist for almost a decade. And for a lot of years, like I really, you know, I, I, I humored his theories and what he had to say about these, you know, very, very far fetched ideas. And I even thought they were kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. What's that about? Tell me about that. And, and then it wasn't until I was in grad school and I would, you know, he would tell me these, these theories of his, and I would think to myself, man, like if he took that, that theory and presented it to a, a graduate committee, like in the same way that you'd be defending your thesis, like they'd fucking tear him to shreds, you know, just like the lack of evidence, the things that he are just hunches. He takes his proof, you know, and, and it, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say it kind of like who's it, it's really frustrating too, as someone who's, you know, going through that process in, in one way or another, but it's like, what are we, who's winning here? You know, someone like that, the conspiracy theorist or someone who's going, you know, through the, you know, the quote unquote traditional proper channels of, of the scientific method. Cause there's one that is appealing to quite frankly, to, to logic, right? Like that's what the scientific method is designed to do is logically think about, problems and come up with solutions and evidence and where the other one the conspiracy theory is is pretty emotionally driven you know it's they're grasping at straws and kind of tying loosely evidence to how they feel Mm -hmm. often and it's like but yet those are the ones that have legs you know those are the ones those theories seem to be the ones that are popular right now. And I don't know what that says about society at large, um, but it, that's kind of, it seems to be a 
a fun little trend like is it is it just because that's the easy way out that's the pop music you know that's the that's the radio friendly discord that's going on right now and everyone can digest it because everyone has feelings right everyone can everyone can listen and hear something and have a feeling about it a gut reaction an opinion they're involved in that sense versus something that you know took someone 10 years to develop an idea that, that took someone 10 years to develop and it's gone through kind of an excruciating process not everyone can have a thought about that or, or a feeling about that because maybe it's just a little bit um, there's too much context that they're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're talking about conspiracy theories being emotionally driven. Like I think that the, uh, the primary emotions that go along with conspiracy theories are fear and paranoia. And that's, that's a common thing that I noticed amongst conspiracy theorists is they are, they are completely seeped in paranoia. And that's, I think that, that these conspiracy theories are maybe by design crafted in that way to appeal to that sort of demographic. In which case, like if that is by design, that's really fucked up by the people that are look at, look at like mainstream news, right? Like what sells in mainstream news? If it bleeds, it leads. Right, 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 right. What? So I was a a long time ago, I I was reading on uh, some site, and I came across an article that said that um, basically when you break this article down, it says the easiest way to make somebody a conservative is to put fear in them about something. Uh, I think the topic was immigration. But you put the fear in them about something, you know, they don't send our best, they don't send their best over here, you know. Right. Uh, everybody that comes across the borders, a criminal, they're all fleeing their past, they're all, you know, they're going to take all your money, they're going to take all your jobs, all that is fear, Right. And the easiest way to make somebody more liberal-minded is to make them feel safe, just to make them feel at peace. Fear is sexy. Fear sells, man. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, it it increases endorphins. It, yeah, I mean, yeah. get your adrenaline going. Yeah, and logic yeah. is peaceful, and well, that's not yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's not. Well, and it's not, not sexy. Not only that, but like I've said before, the truth is often boring, mm-hmm. and people don't like the idea of having to accept that you know there might just be some boring explanation for something that there there isn't some sensational thing to go along with it i was listening to another uh podcast i can't man i wish i knew the name of the professor who was doing the research into this but he was just going through a lot of the different um personality types that that are associated with people who are largely um, into conspiracy theories. And he said the one common thing that he noticed is that there is just a lack of acceptance that bad things or evil just happens in the world. Like, unfortunately, that's just a, a, a fact of life. And when they come up with labels like the Illuminati or the deep state or, or something like that, it's like even though the Illuminati is this huge, massive, secretive underground entity, there's comfort in knowing that you're at least putting a like a like a it's you, controlled or it can be controllable. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like char- you're characterizing it instead of it being just an entity. Yeah, because you know, if evil. it's just random, it can happen to you. Yeah, exactly. But it gives you some sort of sense of control that you know, like it's it's the Democrats that are you know trafficking in babies and drinking blood and and raping children and stuff like immortal because it makes you it makes you feel like it well you know even though like 
it's this enormous entity. If I if I am hip to who it is and what they're doing, at least I have some sort of control over it. Like I can at least be on the lookout for it, you know, instead of just accepting that, well, shit, evil happens in the world, unfortunately, and there's not really much I can do about it. But yeah, like as far as like Nick was saying about academia, like going through any sort of graduate level school, like a lot of the research papers that we are required to read, they are pretty fucking boring. Just sort of the, the, the drab nature that is academia sometimes like, and not only that, but the long drawn out process too. Like you, it's not a, just an easy, quick answer overnight. And you hear a lot of, a lot of these people who say like, you know, the new thing now is do your research, the QAnon people do your research. They don't know what research is like, just like Nick was talking about. So research isn't just going down a rabbit hole of articles that are playing into your algorithm algorithmic <laughs> yeah. Algorithm. feed yeah <laughs> or just watching youtube videos that play into your biases that's that's not research research is a lot more involved than that i want to throw um i want to turn turn the conversation just a little bit if yeah, you guys will kind of humor me for a second so <clears throat> the idea that like i i I'm playing devil's advocate in a sense, but um, the idea kind of that, like not everything is worth debating or not everything is worth kind of hearing out because yeah. some things just, there's that surface validity, right? Where you're just kind of like, Hey, face, face validity of this is just bullshit. And I'm calling bullshit on it. Therefore we don't need to talk about it. Um, yeah, I, I'm wondering how much of that though is, is constructed through just like social means and, and culture. Um, and the reason you bring, I, I bring it up is because there's some pretty outrageous things that happen, you know, in, in other parts of the world and in America, which would seem outrageous to other parts of the world. Um, and like things that we may sit there and see as like, Hey, that is like an outrageous thought, right? Like that's just like, that's crazy stuff. Give me an example. I mean, it could be it could be religious examples, right? Like just like the different philosophies of religion. Um, it could be whether or not whether or not Jesus actually existed. You know, like th things like that. Like there's like you're gonna have like a huge divide based oftentimes on how you're brought up, and like at what point do we listen because because it's like good practice, I guess. Like it's like, are you gaining something, even though it seems absurd, like, are you the listener gaining something by being like open-minded and, and hearing it out? Because we still have to accept the fact that there's a lot that we just don't know about, about each other. I, I don't like my example that I threw out there about, about religion. It's not a good example. No, I can understand. Ricky. Yeah. What, if, what if we did like, Something that would seem outrageous to other countries would be like, we have a school shooting a week, but we yeah. refuse to change our gun laws. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so like in the context of our country, that's the norm, right? Yeah, and yeah, it doesn't yeah, seem yeah. outrageous, but to yeah. everybody else, like I, I was, I've been overseas before, and it, like that's the main question I get asked about Americans is like, why are you guys obsessed with guns? Like that's just yeah. how they see yeah. us. It's just why don't you crazy. guys have healthcare? You, right? I mean, yeah. The only place where Breaking Bad could have ever taken place was in America. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. You know, that's, that's the only reason that that's whole true. thing right. could have happened. It would have been 
in America. Maybe like, I don't know, Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure if they, I don't think they do. Maybe a third world country that would have worked out, but it would have been a way different story. So, well, do yeah, those work? No, um, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Gosh, that's, that's a good question, Nick. Like, is there any utility in at least humoring what we see as dumbed down? Like, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, humoring it in a sense. But like, I guess how it, it is, it, it's like, it, it seems so obvious when you're presented with something like, you know, flat earth to me, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's bullshit. But it's like, what if there's a whole country out there that, that believe that? I like, think that, yeah, I, I think, that. I think it's sort of the chicken or the egg, you know, is like, because when did, I think that this conspiracy theory stuff, of course, conspiracy theories have been around forever, but I, I think that it's really become a phenomenon in recent years and because of, of such an inundation of news and media and different ways to receive content, like, so, you know, through Facebook or Drudge Report or, or, you know, any, any internet show or uh, 24 hour news channels and stuff. And I think that, you know, like we've talked about before in the past, like when you have, when you have these 24 hour time slots to fill, you got to fill them with something, you know, and, uh, without gatekeeping, especially on the internet, you know, anybody can post anything they want. Like we're posting right now on, on, on the web without any sort of gatekeeping or fact checking or anything like that. And I think that people just assume that if if it made its way onto the internet or onto television or or whatever medium, then it must be must be true. I do think that that has been a phenomenon of the past decade and a half or so. You know, especially like with the conspiracy theory thing, when it's it's so easy to get whatever you want published, there just wasn't room for it before. So. I I personally think that that's kind of where that was birthed. Um, I think that uh, if you were to ask literally anybody, is it true if it's on the internet? I mean, I'm sure that you, 99.59 whatever blah, 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 percent of the people, if you asked a million, let's say, would be like, no, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. I mean, you can post anything. But then you say something that aligns with their confirmation bias, and they're going to be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. So actually, here's a really good example that I think would address this, Nick. The the same guy that I was talking about that's the hardcore conspiracy theorist that I've worked with for nearly a decade. Every time, like, I look over, you know, and he's looking at a computer screen or he's looking at his phone, it's always on Drudge Report. And, like, I'll hear him say, oh, I'm just going to go over here and read the news. And I'm thinking, do you mean the news or do you mean Drudge Report? But uh, so, like, it used to They're be the same to him years ago he would he would always come to me with some sort of sensational bullshit that he read off a drudge and at first like i said before like i'd kind of humor it and i was you know like interested to see where it would go and then it would just disappear like into thin air it would just go away i would you know eventually it kind of just became the boy that cried the wolf around this same time as when i was in grad school and i I remember sitting down, I was having a meeting with my advisor who was or is a media ethics expert specialist. 
I asked him about that. I was like, what's the deal with Drudge Report? Like I, you know, there are things that come up on that, on that website that aren't coming up anywhere else, but it's just, it's just weird that they're reporting it when nobody else is. And then it just seems to disappear. And what I was told by him was, you know, Matt Drudge is not technically a journalist, so he doesn't feel beholden to any sort of journalistic standards or to integrity of journalists. So basically the model for Drudge Report is they throw everything up against the wall and if it sticks, they can say they were the first ones there. And if it doesn't, well, you know, they're not journalists, so they don't have to abide by those standards. And what is kind of funny is like they've found themselves in a lot of fame and recognition in the mid nineties because they were actually the ones that broke the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Everybody had the same information at the same time. They were working on fact checking everything and going through the the proper motions like you're supposed to, but Drudge just went with it and it just so happened that it worked out in their favor. Fortunately for them, it turned out to be a good thing, but that's, you know, moving forward, you know, how I wonder what the percentage of what they actually report is true or if it's just something that falls off the wall when uh, when nothing happens or they... So I think that that's a, a good example to kind of, I mean, get back to what you were saying, Nick, about the, you know, the validity of talking about these issues that we might see as, as a waste of time. This is how I see it as toxic and detrimental you know, and, and do you see that like with the Drudge Report example, like these people are spending time and energy reading and getting spun up about things that don't are likely not even going to be true? Yeah, no, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, I think about it in, in two different ways. If you look at, you know, the kind of the case by case um, kind of scenario, like surface level like yeah I, I i don't know drudge report and what their percent accuracy is but let's just let's make up a number here and say hypothetically they're they're 75 percent or maybe maybe they're 25 percent accurate i don't know maybe they're 50 percent accurate um and you're talking to someone like your coworker who's who's bringing up all these different conspiracy theories or these different you know news stories you know perceived news stories off of drudge report the real story to me or the real the real finding the real the real benefit i guess of talking about it is that over time you're developing you're learning and you're developing a theme cuz when you start to back up and you look at all of these different conspiracy theories and all these different people who have beliefs in these conspiracy theories then you start to see patterns and once patterns emerge, then you start to see the underlying problem. And the underlying problem isn't really, I would argue, probably in the specific story itself of all these different conspiracy theories. The underlying problem is probably something else. It's probably like, you know, there's a certain segment group of people out there for whatever reason have a very, maybe a very strong distrust in X institution or have a very strong distrust or in, in XYZ, they have a very strong tendency to believe XYZ. So it's like by listening, you can kind of develop these different patterns and these different 
kind of understandings for for why people are are believing in them because it doesn't seem to me like it's just this one conspiracy theory that people grab onto it's like if you're into conspiracy theories mm-hmm. you tend to really be into them into like so if all you took all, yeah if you took all of those all those people who are, who just seem to be really into conspiracy theories and you started to figure out not only who they are like that's almost like second this is a second question that's not as important what's more important is like why why are they so like what is the problem because those are real problems for people yeah. you know maybe yeah. it is a strong distrust in government and like i can have sympathy for that sure you know like, i can i can understand someone's strong distrust in government but what i can't understand is like the flat earth society like i don't that that doesn't jive with me at all but again zooming out and finding kind of the patterns for why people maybe believe or think or process information the way they do, you can start coming up with these patterns. So when I'm when I'm making the argument that sometimes it's beneficial to hear out people, even though it's absurd, it's I, I'm being selfish. I'm I'm saying it's beneficial for us, you know, right? Like I'm not. It's beneficial for you because you get to gather more information. You know, you get to you get to know the counter argument. You get to understand people better, and you get to also just practice listening, um, which is really challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess know. where I see it as being detrimental is that when when we do that, there's the perception that there's equity in in the arguments. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when when we're talking about like climate change. And there are a lot of people still on the right who it's not a settled issue for them. And, and they still see it as a hoax. They see it as something that's been blown out of proportion or, Oh, you know, the climate changes all the time and blah, blah, blah. So I think that there's the misconception that because there's usually two people, one on each side that are talking about the issue that, this is just still like opinion based and in the meantime like it's hindering progress and shit's not getting done oh uh i was just gonna say uh, i feel like we're mistaking or missing a certain uh big part of this and that's scale you know i think one-on-one me talking to you or yada yada about about why you don't believe in climate change i think that's that's a valid thing to do if you want to get that information doing studies on people who believe in those conspiracies, that's a valid thing to do to get that information. But when you give it a global scale, like when it's on Fox News 24-7, you know, um, I think that's where it becomes the issue is once it hits that global scale. You know, uh, so I think what we are what we need to define a little bit when we're talking about, it's okay to talk to this person about that or it's okay to entertain these arguments. We need to talk about scale too, you know. Uh, it would be okay for me to entertain that co-worker's arguments talking to them personally. Yeah. Uh, It would not be okay for me to invite them on like Good Morning America and let them Mm -hmm. talk about what they're thinking about. To give them a platform. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's actually a really good point, and I'm glad that you brought that up because what I really struggle with a lot of times is, is I hear things that, in my opinion, sound batshit crazy or just fucking stupid in general and 
like my initial reaction and this is my ego and I'm working on my ego, but my initial reaction is to just be like, are you a fucking idiot? Like, why do you think that? Like, and then I am confrontational and like, I want to, you know, fight about it and, uh, kind of just prove my superiority in the argument. But you know, what happens when you do that is that the, the person that you're talking to just digs their heels into the ground even more because they're like, well, who's this fucking asshole? Like, I don't want to be like him. Like, if this is how the opposing viewpoint acts, then I'm just going to be the opposite. And then them being told that science doesn't matter and science is wrong. Going back to that validation thing. Yeah, When they right. can think that, they can think, oh, remember that guy that I was, like, talking to my friend about? He joined in and he was like, you guys are fucking morons. Why the fuck do you believe that dumb shit? Right. Yeah. I can. I'm better than now. I yeah. can say I'm better than that dude. It just. Yeah. It just. It just kind of drives a wedge even further. So, I think that that's the easy way, the easy route to take is to be confrontational and to kind of like want to flex your intellectual muscle or whatever and try to be superior. But what is constructive yeah. is to talk. Is you know when somebody brings up an issue that you think is re, you know far-fetched or ridiculous is to be like well why do you believe that and have a constructive conversation that's not confrontational that isn't demeaning and you you kind of change opinions and minds by influence in that way and and not by being abrasive um and And i think by by scale like i think the scale is an important issue um ricky that you brought up and Like there's, so like we mentioned, like, you know, there's like a point at which you cross a line, like, you know, talking to someone about their bad shit, crazy ideas in your basement, it's like, whatever. Um, bringing them on Fox News is another thing. But we were also talking about the changing media landscape, which is really like, there are a lot of YouTube conspiracy theorists or YouTube videos in general that have many more views than any news story that's kind of in the traditional media so like by silencing by silencing voices because you're you're essentially you're choosing to not bring them on because surface again surface level face validity you know your bullshit detector is ringing so you say fox news or cnn or whatever decides hey we're not going to bring this person on because we we know it's bullshit that person can very easily just go on youtube and still get their voice heard and they're and they're, they're probably going to make an argument that oh see you know they're yeah they're just shills for the i don't see the deep it, state it's a yeah. cycle right it's cancel yeah, culture it, sorry yeah, i was just gonna say it feeds into itself it's like you know and i hear this with some members of my family where it's like well look look what facebook did look what facebook did they, see i told you they're communists you know they, they did this and they did this and they did this and it's like then the other side's like well yeah because you know we need to make sure that you know fact checking is it's being done and people aren't spreading false information. And the other person's like, this isn't false information. This is, I don't believe in science. So this isn't, so it's just like, we're, we're stuck in this age of like, there's, there's no, there's no gatekeeping, but then also we've now reached a point where if someone tries to gatekeep, then it's like, it does more, almost more damage. Like it's like, we have to be all or nothing, you know, like we can't be like, okay, like half of the people get to talk and the other half don't get to talk, you know, or, or it's like everyone just gets to talk or we could go back to the way it was like, you know, in like the nineties 
and we can say, hey, there are very specific people who have the credentials to talk and they're going to talk. And my preference is like the 90s. I would, you know, to be honest, 99%, I make this number completely up, 99% of people in the world, they have no business fucking talking about anything. You know, it's like, quite frankly, like, and I'm, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm probably within the have 99%. A, have a platform, <laughs> what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it's fine. Like, they don't need to have a platform. 99% of people let's don't just, deserve a podcast. Let's let the legit people have a platform and and kind of uh, allow their voices to to kind of echo rather than everyone gets to weigh in on it because most people most people just shouldn't <laughs> because it doesn't help. Mm. Where do you think that uh, that disdain for academia comes from? Like, is it like a, an elite thing where they're you know? Because, like, my, I guess my own personal perception of this is they, you know, people who look down on academia, they almost look at, you know, I always hear it followed up with, like, oh, I didn't, you know, I got I got my learning from the school hard knocks, you know, and that's there. And so, like, I, I see a problem with that societally because that kind of says that education is a a privilege that you get through being privileged and having you know being affluent and having money to get education it also sort of demeans education and academia too and and kind of minimizes the importance of it i i do think that there's a little bit of an intimidation factor there where some people they don't have that level of intellect and i'm not saying i do i i would like to and i aspire to it but some people don't have that level of intellect and so maybe there's a threat there where they just see it as, oh, you know, this guy doesn't know how to get his hands dirty. Like, I, I, I'm I, a real man. I don't know. Where where do yeah. you guys see that coming from? I think it's like, I mean, there's there's likely a multitude of, of reasons why someone may dislike academia or feel threatened by it or, or whatever. But ultimately the way like I, I I think about it is like there's like this disconnect I think between what's actually happening in the academic classroom and what people think is happening in the academic classroom right so I would say like that's that's one piece of it um another piece would just be people's general tendency to think more highly of themselves than compared to other people you know, like they generally, people just generally overestimate their intelligence or how effective they are at doing things. I think it's human nature. I think it's just that, uh, one, it feels better to be better than someone else. It feels good to be better than someone else, you know? And then, and then two, um, I think it's real easy to think science gets things wrong all the time. And, uh, the best example I can come up with is the weatherman. You know, how often does the weatherman call for rain and there's no rain? But they've got a they've got a lot of education. You know, never mind that weather is unpredictable and and constantly in flux. Yeah. But how often is the weatherman wrong? How often is uh, how often are scientists wrong? They don't even. I mean, most people don't even that make that argument don't get that. Science is inherently supposed to get things wrong at first. Yeah, falsifiable. Right. You can't 
figure out what's true until you figure out what's not true in a lot of cases. Yeah. And uh, and that's the thing that people have messed up. You know, you're given those science projects when you're, you know, in, in fifth grade or whatever. And mine was like, which detergent gets the socks the cleanest? You know, when really it should be something like, uh, you know, when I do this to this thing, this is what I expect to happen. Why didn't it happen? Mm-hmm. You know? Right, yeah. Um, I, I'm holding this pound of dry ice in my hand. I expect it to be cold, but instead it's hot. Why? You know, it's it actually is cold. It just feels hot. Yeah. You know, and that should be explanation. You got it wrong, but you were, you know, but you found out the right answer because you were wrong. Have you guys seen, this is, this is kind of a funny example, but have you guys seen that, that episode of it's always starting in Philadelphia where um, they're like, there's like this mock trial that the whole gang does. And one of the key witnesses is, is Mac and Mac has to, you know, somehow explain to Dennis that science is, is kind of, yeah, kind of like religion in a sense where you're putting a lot of faith in it. Have you guys seen that episode or no? I don't watch TV. It's been a long time. I know I've seen all those episodes and I love them, but it's been a long time. Yeah, I have to admit it. Like that definitely, maybe it's pathetic. I don't know, but like that, that changed the way I thought a little bit about science and the the way I thought about faith too. I mean, there are a lot of people who just put their faith in science in whatever person labels themselves as a scientist and saying that they did X, Y, Z in the same way that a lot of people who are, you know, put their faith in, in Jesus or God or, you know, anyone or any, any religious figure. And I, I don't know, like it, it it's not a free it, debate. It what? It's like, it's not a free debate. Yeah, I right. Like, exactly. I feel like if people are going to have faith in science, it shouldn't be, I have faith in science. It should be, I have faith in science's ability to eventually get things right. Yeah, that's fair. And you're an atheist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so far. So far. You were you were brought up Christian though? Uh no, I wasn't raised in any kind of church. Okay. I moved down to um moved down to Florida for my active duty years and uh found God down there for about four years and then In a trailer park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh picking uh <laughs> picking I don't know oranges. I'm not. Pl- I'm just playing around. But uh, found God down there, and then um, slowly came back to myself. I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> what, like I said before, is that I get. I've been hung up on this idea that journalism, inherently by definition, presents all sides or or most sides of an issue and and doesn't offer any sort of interpretation or biasy. But we're kidding ourselves if we don't say that there we don't that nobody has inherent bias, no matter what kind of writing or or journalistic integrity you might have. I feel like um that we're being very punk about journalism if we're saying, you know, uh Anytime you put any kind of interpretation on anything, you're inherently putting bias in it. Sure. So, yeah. fuck it. This is what we think. Yeah. What my former professor said in his message, too, where he said it, it 
punk was always about punching up. You know, we're challenging the status quo. We're, we're questioning authority. And the moment that you punch down, that's when you become an authoritarian. You know, so that's that I think in a nutshell is really encompasses what I what I would like to to do is is one, encourage critical thinking and two, question authority, question the status quo. And there's almost like, you know, if we could all agree in America on one thing right now, it's that everything's almost fucked up. Every, everything is fucked up. Yeah. 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 And everyone feels yeah right now. well We're, i guess i guess what I, i'm i'm not saying that anything is good the way it is right now I, I was just saying like if we explore topics and we we dig into them maybe we'll find that there's not anything that we can do you know that that would make the situation any better but like yeah. you're saying in most cases that's probably not the case and that's kind of yeah. what i've I guess if if I've ever been frustrated with anything in the academic world or the you know just the college university nonconformist world, because I spent a lot of time on a college campus and it seemed like it was always change for the sake of change, and even if there wasn't any real reason to make change, it was like, well, we're just going to be rebellious for the sake of being rebellious, <laughs> you know, and. And that to me, like, is, is, is conformist. Like if you're being a rebel just to be a rebel or for the sake of being a rebel, like that's, that's conforming to your little, your little subculture, you know, like was talking to a young lady one time and she asked me how I felt about cops. And I was like, I think they're good cops, bad cops, just like there's good people and bad people. And she's like, I don't care. I don't care if they're good people or bad people. I just hate cops. And like that, that's not constructive at all that's not anything that's just you know it's just as bigoted as saying i hate yeah. black people right you know? yeah yeah i'm gonna disagree with you guys i don't think everything is shit i think things are getting a lot better i think if you look at the numbers crime is way the fuck down since the 70s yeah i think you zoom the, out yeah the world the world is a way more peaceful place and it's moving that way yeah it is um i think there's really big things that we need to get our hands around just like just like every generation has really big shit they got to get their hands around you know greatest generation had world war ii uh and then we're picking up the fight from the boomers for equality with racism and sexism and you know all that stuff um but i think maybe one of the best ways we could do it is to get our voices and opinions out there like maybe we should make a podcast about about this kind of stuff that's a great idea yeah, yeah, but you're right though. It is right now is historically the safest time to be alive ever, and I think that sometimes we lose sight of that. Again, it goes back to there's a camera on everybody at all the time, and so it seems like things are a lot worse off than they really are. Yeah, we need to remember we went from the number one killer of men being saber toothed tigers to mm. heart disease. Yeah. Well, and we thanks to thanks to vaccinations, we don't have to worry about things like polio. Tigers? And, oh, sorry. yeah, and saber tooth tigers. But yeah, um, so but yeah, I mean, but we still have a lot of work to do. We got a long way to go. So, so we shouldn't For just sure. rest on our laurels. Uh, anything uh, you want to you want to end on, Nick? No, I was just. I, I feel like I, I don't want to spur a whole additional debate, but I was going to say that. You know, we assume oftentimes that things like, you know, like death rate and 
you know, whatever, you know, disease rate are the metrics of success. And that, that probably is a pretty big assumption though, because I think there's a lot of people right now in the world who would think that maybe like the way our culture is changing, like something like cancel culture, for example, is, is more detrimental than a small dip sure, right. or small in like the, the, the death rate or the, the fact that like there's more political polarization right now than there was, you know, in X amount of years ago. Like some people may say that that's more of a, a red flag than a small spike in, in death rate because maybe it signals something else to come. So yeah. I'm traditional, Nick. I like to leave things on a little bit of a, a doom and gloom <laughs> just to scare everyone a little bit, you know. Quit being People's- such a philosopher. I think that yeah. I think that th- that kind of speaks to the context of the time that you're living in, though. Is like if if you think that the ideas of political correctness or political polarization are are you know as detrimental as anything that's ever happened to us throughout history, well, and that that kind of just shows our level of relative comfort and security that we that we enjoy. Yeah. It's just as humans and human nature, we're always going to find something to 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 bitch about, and we're we're mm-hmm. gonna you know we're gonna think that we're as worse off as we ever have been because it's in our nature to make ourselves uncomfortable. Pretty much, you need to stop reading Heidegger and start reading Will Durant. Okay, I was talking to Nick. Oh, will do. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the first one? Stop reading Martin Heidegger. Okay. And start reading Will Durant. Will Durant, okay. All right, well, we'll give it a try. You know, I'm kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of a tall uh, stack of books that I'm supposed to be reading that I never do. So, uh, yeah, towards yeah. the top. I'm, brother, I'm right there with you. I got a whole mess of books that everybody wants me to read. Ricky, <laughs> anything from you? I already said my piece. All I just right. want a pet banjo. <laughs> That's my dog. Or maybe it's the nickname for my penis. <laughs> Find us at punk-journalism.com, facebook.com slash punkjournalism. Look us up on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. Bye, Dr. Nick. Bye, Dr. Nick. See you guys. <laughs>